Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you today. Uh, many of you know that I am a family pastor, and I've spent a lot of time in children's ministry, and one of my favorite things to do is to tell stories. So today, I get the opportunity to tell you the story of Esther. So thank you for welcoming me this morning uh, to tell you a story. The book of Esther narrates a plan how some people wanted to eradicate God's people, the Jews. This plan gets set in motion, but it's overturned in unexpected ways. God isn't mentioned even once in the book of Esther. The Bible, the written revelation of God himself, makes no mention of God in the book. However, we will see that he is in Esther. He's weaved through every single storyline, and he's in the course of every detail. It's a narrative. Like I said, it's a story. The setting is ancient Persia. The characters are all quite colorful. Uh, you'll meet King Xerxes. Also, you'll hear me call him King Ahasuerus. You'll meet queens, eunuchs, nobles. Uh, you'll meet some citizens that are remnants of God's people there in Persia. There's going to be great feasts, murder plots, jealousy, pride, rage, blood, war. But most importantly, God is there. Hidden, however, always present. Royalty in Persia lived lavishly. King Ahasuerus hosted many feasts. He hosted a 180-day, six-month feast for his officials and his own VIPs. He also hosted a week-long feast for all the individuals who helped him prepare for the six-month feast. And at the same time, the queen, Queen Vashti, was hosting something for the women. These were beautiful. Capital cities got nothing on what was going on in Persia. It was all linen. And they, it said that the vessels that they drank out of were made of gold. However, on the final day of the week-long feast, King Ahasuerus, merry with wine, asks his council to go and to bring Queen Vashti to him. Apparently, Queen Vashti was quite beautiful, and the king wanted to show her off to whoever was there. Queen Vashti refused to come. In Persian culture, it was patriarchal, absolutely unheard of for not just the queen to say no, but for any female to say no when requested to do something. Not only was King Ahasuerus embarrassed and angry, he actually had a political nightmare on his hands. So as many of us do, we seek the help of our friends to get ideas and find solutions to problems. So King Ahasuerus talks to his buddies. Uh, one of them particularly, his name is Mamukin. And Mamukin thinks, if the queen is going to disobey the king, we have got to put an edict in place 
because I don't want my wife not obeying me, and I don't want all the women in the province not obeying their husbands. So Queen Vashti, we got to get rid of her. She needs to be banished from the kingdom, and a new queen needs to be found. So a empire-wide search goes on for a new queen. There's only one thing that they're looking for, beauty. They're looking for physical beauty. Once identified as they're going around choosing young women, once they're identified, really by no choice of their own or even of their parents, they were taken and put into the king's harem with one goal, to prepare to impress the king. Arriving on the scene now is Esther. She's a young Jewish girl about the age of 14. We also begin to hear about her cousin, Mordecai. Esther and Mordecai were Jews. Last week, Chuck mentioned the Babylonian exile. Well, Mordecai's great-great-great-grandparents had been a part of that exact exile. And Mordecai and Esther are in Persia and also keeping their Jewish identity to themselves. They were enjoying life in Persia. They were living the good life there and able to just integrate into Persian culture. Esther was chosen to go to the harem because of her physical beauty. This gathering or taking is not the same as an audition for The Bachelor. There's simply an edict from the most powerful man in the world that is going to be enforced. Again, Esther, keeping her Jewish identity a secret, she begins to gain the favor of people in the king's court. The chief eunuch shows extreme compassion to her. He helps her know what to do during this 12-month time of preparation to go see the king. Now, 12 months sounds, you know, kind of exciting. Spa treatments and uh, new makeup and pedicures and... However, that is not at all what this beauty ritual would have been. There was extreme competition between the women. They were all fighting to be the one that King Ahasuerus would favor. Do you think it's possible that God used the young advisors that traveled around the empire in his plan, even though they may not have known it? Do you think it's possible that a defiant queen, Queen Vashti, and a compassionate eunuch were being used as part of God's plan to have Esther be used by God? Now, seemingly out of nowhere comes our villain of the story. His name is Haman. He's a rising star in the king's administration. He is treated like royalty so much that everyone bows down to him, except for one person, and that's Mordecai. Mordecai would not bow down to Haman. Haman is infuriated by this, and he's learned of Mordecai's Jewish heritage. 
because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to him, he plotted not only to have uh, Mordecai killed, but to have the entire Jewish race killed. He's so furious that he makes an edict to happen down the road. Now, Haman, in order to choose a date, he uh, plays the dice. Uh, he just goes up to chance. Okay, I'm going to roll these dice. I'm going to cast these lots. And whatever day pops up on here, that's the day that we're going to annihilate the Jews. It happens to be about eight, ten months later. So there's some time in there. Well, Haman wants to go ahead and exterminate Mordecai before the edict even takes place. He wanted the king to give a special edict to say that he could take out Mordecai before the Jews were gone. As I look for God's hidden hand in this story, it was hard for me to think that Haman could be used by God? Really, God? Uh, a worldly leader with reprehensible plans? A part of your great work? On October 18th, 2021, I received a call from my husband, Trey. We had been grand cat-sitting our cat, Felix. Chuck, this picture's just for you. And uh, we had been cat-sitting, grand cat-sitting Felix. And we needed to get Felix back to our daughter Caroline, who lived in Clemson at the time. So Commerce, Georgia, most of us know that, where the outlets are, uh, is where Trey and Caroline met to do the cat exchange. So exchange of the cat, all's going well. Caroline goes back to Clemson. You know, Trey calls me and says, Dee, I'm on, on the way home. I'm eating my Chick-fil-A. I'm, I'm on my way home. I'm like, okay, great. I know right where he is. Uh, Trey's a Clemson grad. Three of our daughters are Clemson grads. And we know that we know that stretch of highway very, very, very well. So I'm like, okay, you know, see you, see you in a little bit, honey. So about 30 minutes later, I get another call. And it's Trey. I do my, my normal hello. And he says, I've been in a terrible accident. The truck, it's done. It's Dundee. The truck is done. It's gone. I can't get out of the car, and I smell gas. And then we lost connection with one another. Got on the phone to the kids, let them know I am headed to commerce. When I get in mama bear mode, the adrenaline is just going, and I was, I was in that car and, and, and ready to go find where Trey was. So remember the days that we all had a friend who would listen to like the police uh, detect, you know, the little sound thing and listen to what was going on, you'd know what was, um, what was there? Well, I had no idea that millennials are actually able to do that now, somehow, some way. Because my oldest daughter, Chandler, somehow was able to pinpoint, uh, and she lives in Texas, uh, the exact point uh, where, where the accident had happened. Well, as I'm going, I get another call, and it's the police officer 
that is with Trey. So I'm like, thank you, Lord. Okay. And the police officer says to me, you know, hey, he's refused to go to the hospital. Um, So I'll meet you at this exit for you to, um, for y'all to meet and then you, you can go home. So I'm thinking, okay, okay, that, that, that's okay. So I see the exit, and I'm thinking, I'm not stopping at that exit. Well, no, I, I actually whipped through the exit to see if they were already there, and they weren't there. And so I was like, no, 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 I am going straight to that scene. So I drove straight to the scene. Um, the one side of the highway was completely closed, so I knew how close I was just because there was nothing you know, com- coming that direction. Um, and I park in the median, I hop out of the car, I go running over to the truck, and these police officers are yelling at me, stop, stop, don't do that, don't do that, you can't be here. And this is the picture that I saw. The accident was a hit and run. With gas leaking, a good Samaritan had cut the airbags and pulled Trey from the window of the truck. I've never been so glad that we're small people. The individual uh, who, who caused the accident has never been found. Uh, it was a huge wrecker. It was a huge wrecker truck. Trey came out with a couple fractured teeth, some bumps and some bruises, and a pretty hefty concussion. But nothing too challenging or too severe. We do give glory to God that no one was traveling with him. Really, God? Something like that is part of your plan? Are you sure? I mean, to be, to be honest with you, I truly don't know exactly why that happened in our life. I don't understand the whys of what was going on. However, I do believe and I trust God that he is a part of every single circumstance in our life, weaving himself through every single storyline. The annihilation of the Jews was coming. The news was unsettling. Mordecai was very distressed. Jews and Persians had lived together for, a ver- for years and years. They're confused about what's going to happen. Mordecai goes to Esther and says to Esther these words out of Esther chapter 4. Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I love this verse because I love this section that says, deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. So Esther, if it's not you, God is going to deliver his people, but maybe it is you who he's called to do this. We wonder, will Esther go to the king? Will she ask for the edict to be replaced or removed? She must have been nervous. She must have been anxious, but with great courage, 
courage, she responds, if I perish, I perish. Esther fasted three days before she went to see the king. She put on her royal robes, she put on her crown, and she made her way to the palace where King Ahasuerus was sitting on the throne. He graciously received her and held out his scepter to her. Unless the king had held out his scepter, Esther would have died. That is why she said, if I perish, I perish. The culture there, you didn't just approach the king. He had to receive you. And if you did approach him and he was not in a good mood that day, you could lose your life. The king says, Esther, he receives her. What is it? What, what, what would you like? He says, honey, you can have up to half the kingdom. I'm so glad to see you. I'm so glad you're here. And Esther says, I have one request. I'd like for you and Haman to come to a banquet that I'm preparing for you. So the king says, great, that sounds wonderful. So Haman, now feeling like he is just the king of the castle in Persia, being invited to a banquet with the queen and the king, is very excited when he leaves the banquet and he's on his way home. And who does he pass but Mordecai? The man who won't bow down to him. Mordecai gets home. He details out everything that's happened to his family. He's told them what a great day that he's had and how, you know, the king invited him to the banquet with the queen and he's just feeling wonderful. But that Mordecai, he just won't bow down. Haman's wife says to Mordecai, Mordecai, I think you need to ask the king to, you know, get rid of Haman. Uh, sorry, I switched that as Haman to get rid of Mordecai. And Haman wasn't so sure. He's, hmm, okay. Well, she wanted to have Mordecai taken so, so early just because he would not bow down. Later that evening, King Ahasuerus is turning in bed. He couldn't sleep. And he did what many of us do when we can't sleep. He began to read a book, but he didn't actually read to himself. Someone came and read the book to him. It's the book of memorable deeds. And it's when uh, anyone in the community has done something good, their name is written down in this book. Their name is written down so that they can be honored in some way. King Ahasuerus says, wow, I hear something in there. And he's heard of something amazing that Mordecai had done. Mordecai had originally heard that there had been a plot to kill the king. Mordecai told Esther, who let the king know, and the men that were going to kill the king, they were killed. The king says, has this Mordecai, has he been honored? He saved my life. And his eunuch says, no, I, 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 don't, I don't believe that he has. 
King Ahasuerus wants to honor the man who saved his life. Guess who is walking through the palace just as the king wants some advice from a friend? Haman. <laughs> so King Ahasuerus asks Haman, what should I do? For what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? Now, in Esther 6, I love, the I love what goes on here. So Esther 6 records that King Ahasuerus asked Haman, what should be done for the king who delights to honor? Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would honor rather than me? So he gives his recommendation for the man the king delights to honor, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one with a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for a man the king delights to honor. Can you feel it? Can you feel the tension? Do you just want to cringe? Do you have maybe a little bit of compassion for Haman? Or are you just laughing at the sheer irony of what is happening? The king absolutely loves Haman's idea. He said, go get the horse, go get the robe, and do this for Mordecai, the man I want to honor. Haman goes and does all for Mordecai that he thought was going to be for himself. Devastated, he goes home to his family again. What Haman thought were ideal circumstances were miraculously reversed for God's people. Later that night, there was a second banquet. The first banquet, Esther had told the king, all I request, I don't want half the kingdom, I want another banquet with you. Haman, thrilled to go, wanting to be the king of the castle, he goes to the banquet. King Ahasuerus leans into Queen Esther and says, what is it, Queen Esther? What is it that you want? Why are you here? I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. Queen Esther answers in Esther 7, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. Spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he, where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman. Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. The king got up in a rage, left his wine, and went out to the palace garden. But Haman, realizing that the king had already decided his fate, stayed behind 
to beg Queen Esther for his life. King Ahasuerus is reeling from Esther's shocking revelation. Haman, the advisor that he trusted, actually had a plot set to kill the queen? Haman is in a no-win situation here. Lydia Brownback expounds on this by saying, Haman risks intensifying the king's wrath even more by lingering in the dining room because in Persian culture, no man could be alone with a king's wife except for the king. So according to custom, when the king got up and left, uh, Haman should have too. Just as the king returns from being outside, what does he see but Haman falling on the couch, begging Esther for mercy? The king, so upset at what he saw, had quite significant words for Haman. And as soon as those words left his mouth, servants came and covered Haman's face. Then Harbona said to the king, when Haman had been so upset about Mordecai, he created gallows for Mordecai to die on. They're so tall that the whole city would have been able to see it. The king said, the pole reaching a height of 50 cubits, the one that stands by, Mordecai, by Haman's, Mordecai's house, put Haman on that. So Haman was impaled on what they had intended for Mordecai. Haman has been executed, thereby removing the threat to Esther's life. But what about the Jewish people? What was going to happen to them? When an edict is signed by the king's stamp, it cannot be removed. The queen goes again to the king for mercy. And again, he puts his scepter out and receives her. She begs him to do something and he tells her, there's nothing I can do. An edict cannot be overruled. However, I could write a new edict to give you safety, which is exactly what happened. The king gave the Jewish people the opportunity to defend themselves. And Esther asked for even an extra day that she could have and her people could have to continue living in God's line. The Jews, of course, as we know, God's faithfulness to carry his people and to continue his great plan, even of salvation for us. The Jews were not annihilated. The outcome is certain, not because God's people are stronger, but because God always keeps his promises. Still today, the Jews observe this. We know it as Purim. Man intended this to be a day of annihilation. God intended for it to be a day of deliverance. The book of Esther narrates a plan to eradicate God's people, the Jews. It gets set in motion, but it was overturned in unexpected ways. Where in your life is God's hand working? The good, the bad, the messy? Where can you acknowledge him? even if you cannot see him. Vashti was providentially removed as the queen. Is there something in your life that's been removed 
that you haven't been able to acknowledge God for. God isn't mentioned even once in the book of Esther. However, he is there, weaved through every storyline, directing the course just as he is in your life, weaved all throughout your story, directing your course. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that your great promise to deliver your people is carried out through the way you work through each individual in history. Lord, help us to acknowledge you in all the details of our life, even when we don't understand. Help us to see your hidden hand. In Jesus' name, amen.